Hello, everybody. The Hockey News Zoomcast, podcast, whatever. It's back again. Matt Larkin's here. That's me. Ryan Kennedy's here. Cam Campbell's here. We're virtually united after a couple weeks. And this one feels different, fellas. I don't know about you, but I'm feeling like we really, we're not forcing it. We have some stuff to talk about. Are you guys feeling pretty pumped right now? Yeah. I, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm feeling like uh, this very much could happen. Um, I mean, like I said on the last podcast, I think there's a real desire to do it. And I think the NHL's showed us that time and time again now. Uh, you know, I still, have my, I still have some reservations as to whether or not they're going to be able to pull it off. But it sure as heck won't be for a lack of trying. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I think that uh, as long as they have all the, the precautions that they can in place, you know, I, I was on a, a Zoom call with Derek Stepan of the Coyotes yesterday, and you could tell, you know, like the players are really thinking about, you know, what this means for their safety and, and, and what the isolation will mean for, for guys that have families. It's, it's going to be a big consideration, but you can also tell that he's very excited to play that qualifying round series against Nashville. So I, I know there's a lot of push and pull with the players, but it, it feels like everybody's pretty excited. For sure. And, and I've said this tons of times on Twitter. It's like whenever we're talking about the excitement, like I, I, I assume people are smart enough, but apparently not all of them are, to understand like it's, it's a given that we're accepting that in this context, we're assuming that players are being declared safe. World health officials have ruled everything okay. It's like when people say, oh, this is trivial. Why are people playing? People are dying. It's like, no, no, we know. We're saying if it's deemed safe, this could be pretty fun, et cetera, et cetera. I'm also wondering, just from a hygiene standpoint, is it time, or, you know, hockey's coming closer? Should I be trimming my beard, wearing nicer clothes now? Are we back to normal? Like, I, I'm not wearing pants. That was always the case, Matt. I guess, but I mean, I'm not wearing pants right now. You always should have been trimming your beard, and you always should have been wearing nicer clothes. It's just but good life like, advice. There's no, nothing. Pandemic's got nothing to do with it. I don't know. It's an excuse to get up. Like, I went and got gas from my car in my pajamas yesterday, you know? Congratulations. It's the giving up culture, but maybe it's time to stop giving up. Next time, I'll wear pants. Uh, So much to discuss today. Uh, Let's just start, you know, we have lots of different angles about the 2014 plan to discuss, Um, but I want to see who you have the most sympathy for. So obviously some teams benefit more than others from this format. Who are you, who is your heart aching for just based on the round robin, the play-in, uh, Kenny, we'll start with you. Who do you feel the most sorry for? Well, I, I you know, I'd say this, this sounds kind of funny, but I, I think the Boston Bruins I feel the most sorry for because I think for them, you know, I mean, there was they were the only team in the NHL, in my opinion, this year. They, they were the team that distinguished themselves from the beginning of the season to the end of the season, uh, to, to when the season sort of dropped off, um, to be the best team in the league. Like, I, I don't think that there was any other team that came close. I mean, Boston, I think, lost once in regulation in their first 12 or 13 games. They were consistently the best team in the NHL. Um, you know, I, I mean, if there's a team that deserved home ice advantage through the playoffs, um, you know, and, and to kind of have that sort of home crowd advantage sort of thing, I think it was them, you know, and now there's, you know, now instead of having, you know, I mean, they're still only going to play four rounds, which is good. But I mean, there's always that, there's always that concern that these te- these top four teams might be a little stale while the other teams are are battling in a in a 
in a hard-fought playoff series. So, I mean, I don't really feel sorry for any of them. Um, you know, I mean, the fact that they're getting to play and the fact that the league is, is you know, going to come back and, and that, I think, is, is, is really good for a lot of people. And if they can do it, um, you know, I, I, don't, I don't think there's too much to feel sorry for here. But I guess if, if there was one team, it would be Boston because I just – I really think that they had set themselves up quite nicely for, you know, a good long playoff run you know, having home ice advantage through the playoffs. And now it's just going to be in some neutral spot. For me, it's the Edmonton Oilers. You know, they've had so many false starts during the Connor McDavid and Natalie Andreisaitl era. And they were having a great season, but they're fifth in the West for points percentage. So they don't get the benefit of being in that, that round robin. They have to play a qualifying series, even though they were second in their division. You know, when, when, when these uh, machinations were first being discussed, I guess I kind of assumed that, you know, they would just take the top two teams from each division, and those would be the ones getting the bye, but they went points percentage throughout. And so only Vegas from the Pacific gets the bye in the West. So Edmonton has to play Chicago in a qualifying series. And, I think the Oilers will probably win that series. Uh, you know, I know the Blackhawks have tons more playoff experience. You know, you've got Taves, you've got Kane, you've got Keith, even though, you know, they're well into their careers. Um, and there's something to be said. It's a short series. You never know what's going to happen. Um, but I, I feel bad that there's the p- potential of Edmonton not making the round of 16, which I would deem to be the real playoffs. Uh, because of this this format, which, I mean, we all know it's, it was never going to be perfect for everybody. Uh, and, hey, maybe Edmonton goes on to win the Stanley Cup. It's very possible. But the fact that they didn't get that sort of upper crust benefit by the slightest of margins uh, makes me feel bad for them. Fair. And I'm in a similar boat with the five seed in the East. I think the Penguins are my number one sympathy team because if we're looking at points percentage, Penguins have the seventh best points percentage in the entire NHL. Uh, yet they're, they're not one of the eight teams that gets to go to the round robin. And they're playing the team with the 24th best points percentage in the NHL, Montreal. I believe the Habs were 10 points out of a playoff spot the last I checked. Uh, so the fact that the idea that Montreal could eliminate Pittsburgh, I think, for the Penguins fans, just like, oh, my God. And I think that's why, you know, as the report came from Elliot Friedman last week, there was the talk supposedly the Penguins were really adamant about not having a best of three for that round. It's got to be best of five. They're nervous about Carey Price in a, in a short series. And there's also just, you know, uncertainty on the other end for the Penguins. They've been kind of flip-flopping between Matt Murray and Tristan Jari in net. So they don't have that absolute locked-in number one choice. Probably going to be Matt Murray, two Stanley Cups, of course. But just the fact that they've gone back and forth all year, it shows it's a little bit of a shaky situation. And the Penguins also, it's been a joke people are talking about on social media. They had such bad injury luck that they're the one team that somehow got injured still during the shutdown, like Nick Dudstad out for the season now, Dominic Simon out for the season. So the Penguins are already short two of their top nine forwards. Uh, usually they both play in the top nine. Uh, so <laughs> the Penguins have some, a few little things to worry about. And I, I think it kind of highlights a bigger, not problem, I'd say, but um, I don't know, storyline maybe is the better word, uh, which is the fact that I'll, I think looking at the underdogs in those playing matchups, a lot of them 
on paper have a possible goaltending edge, right? Number nine, Winnipeg, has Connor Hellebuck over number eight, Calgary. Uh, and you're seeing even, even things like, you know, Arizona number 11 has Darcy Kemper, who's had an amazing year. And Nashville's got to choose between UC Saros, who, who's not that experienced in the playoffs, and Pecorine. So there are a lot of those matchups that are a bit scary in net, but the Penguins one, I think, deserves the most sympathy because they were the highest overall seed uh, that has to play in, in this round. Um, so just going into more detail about the series themselves, Let's hear your pick for the most intriguing series. If you look online, I ranked them myself, my own picks for most intriguing online uh, yesterday. But uh, Ryan, we'll start with you this time. Which series are you most pumped for, if, if it happens? Well, I'm looking at Calgary and Winnipeg simply because coming into the season, we thought both of these teams would be better. And now they're, they're both going to be fighting for their playoff lives in the qualifying round. And you're going to get two teams that are obviously going to be very well rested. And you look at the talent on both sides, you know, you're getting Blake Wheeler, Patrick Line, Connor Hellbuck, Mark Shifley, Mark Giordano, Matthew Kachuk. Like it goes on and on. Johnny Gaudreau. Um, there's a lot of star power in there. And I, I don't think there's a lot separating these teams. Obviously they are the eight and nine seeds, but I think this could be a real fun one and um, definitely one to watch. Kenny, what about you? I'm looking forward to uh, the Rangers in Carolina. I think that series has potential for a lot of chaos and mayhem, you know? A lot of goals and a lot of – just a lot happening. Um, you know, I mean, you know, you've got the Panarin's advantage ad on, the, on, on New York – on the New York side, and then you've got – you know, all that talent on, you know, on, 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 uh, on Raleigh, on uh, Carolina's side. And, you know, to me, I mean, I mean, you want that you wanted to see a team like the Rangers in the playoffs. I think a lot of people were, you know, were kind of hoping that they would be good enough to get into the playoffs this year because they're young and they're dynamic and they're, and they're, you know, they're, they're fun to watch. Uh, and now we do get to see them in the playoffs. Um, you know, I know that I know that uh, Henrik Lundqvist has had had two amazing games against Carolina uh, back in November. I think they play, faced forty plus shots both times, and they won both games. Um, so, you know, both teams. You know, Chris Kreider will be back for for the Rangers. You know, you assume Dougie, Dougie Hamilton will be back for the for Carolina as well as Sammy Vatanen, who they got at the trade deadline and never played. Um, so I, I don't know. That series to me just looks like. That's one that would go the distance. That's one I think that would have a huge potential for upset. You know, I mean, Carolina was, was not happy with – they were one of the two teams that voted against, you know, this playoffs scheme. And I, I think they did that for a reason because they knew that they'd be facing this particular team that they've had a lot of trouble with. So I think they, they, the upset potential is very high. I think the mayhem potential is very high. And I just, I just think it would be really exciting. For sure. It's funny, and I was tweeting about this today, Rod Brindamore making a comment that, you know, what did we fight for to get here? I don't, I just don't get the sentiment. It's like, of course, yes, what did you fight for to get here? What did every, what did every team fight for? Of course, yes. Is it going to be a huge waste? Yes, but there's a friggin' pandemic, of course. Like, it drives me nuts when people are trying to use old world context to try and be upset about something happening now. Like, oh, this is such a bad break. This is such a raw deal. Yeah, there's a pandemic. What are you talking about? I just wanted to get that off my chest. It's bothering me. Uh, my pick, I think, for the most intriguing series, I've already touched on it, is Pittsburgh-Montreal. Um, you get the big market Montreal that probably shouldn't be in the playoffs, which is a fun storyline, I guess. And, yeah, yeah. And if, if and you've got the star power, of course, Sidney Crosby, Evgeny Malkin. 
Uh, and if Carey Price steals game one, if the, if the Habs win game one of that series, then just the, the buzz is going to go off the charts. Oh, my God, it's everything the Penguins feared. It's everything that's wrong with this playoff. The 24 seed is going to knock off the seven. People are going to start going crazy. And I think the most intriguing storyline, though, of this series is what happens to the loser. Uh, so if the Penguins lose, they could get a shot, depending on the June 26th draft lottery, if, if none of the bottom seven teams can, if they all whiff on that first pick. Uh, and then it defers to the qualifying losers. The Penguins could be eligible to win the number one overall pick. And we know there's a rule of Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh mythology that every second decade they get a generational hockey superstar. So they got Mary Lemieux in 1984. 90s Lemieux dominates. They got Crosby in 05. Crosby dominates. And then skip the decade. We're just starting a new decade. So it's time. The Penguins are due for their next superstar. I mean, and they did get Yarmar Yager as well, of course. So it feels like the hockey gods might just magically bring Lafreniere to Pittsburgh. Uh, and if Montreal loses, it's just as intriguing. The Habs, there has not been a number one overall francophone skater picked since Vinny Le Cavalier. So Lafreniere, the idea of him coming to Montreal would be extremely exciting. Conspiracy theorists would go crazy with that one. Uh, and that kind of uh, ties to my next question. So we're going to talk a bit more about the draft lottery. Um, who is your doomsday scenario in terms of just – if you're, if you're a fan of chaos, if you're the Joker in the Dark Knight and you want the craziest thing to happen, who's your doomsday scenario pick to win the draft lottery? We'll start with you, Kenny. Well, thanks for stealing my thunder there, pal. <laughs> <laughs> Save it for the podcast. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Save yeah, it for five minutes from now. So you're gonna, I'm going to guess you're going to pit Pittsburgh or Montreal. My pick, is, my pick is Pittsburgh, yeah. Um, you know, because, I, I mean, that's that would – to me, Pittsburgh winning, winning the number one pick would just – it would go against the whole spirit of the draft lottery. Like, to me, as far as I'm concerned, all these – none of these 12 teams that are in each conference that are in, in the playoffs should be eligible to get the first pick. You should be able to win the lottery and move up three or four or five spots or however many spots. I get that. But to get the first overall pick, I'm sorry. No. Like, okay, you know what, Arizona Coyotes? You suck this year. You were supposed to be better. You guys sucked. And now you're getting a mulligan by getting, getting put in the playoffs. So you can't have it both ways. You can't get into the playoffs and have a chance to get the first overall pick as well. So to me, I mean, this would really, like, this would really go against the spirit of the lottery, I think, if, uh, if, uh, if Pittsburgh were to win. And there are people out there, like, it's true. There are people out there who actually believe that the league favors the Pittsburgh Penguins and will do everything in its power to get the Peng Pittsburgh Penguins the first pick. There are people who believe that. There are people who actually believe that out there. And if this happens, those people will be coming out of the woodwork like nobody's business. Oh, yeah, you're right. And I do think, you know, in my opinion, the, the lottery, the, the having a loser still be able to qualify for the lottery, I think it's more about appeasing the good teams than the bad teams. So it's, it's to prevent a Pittsburgh losing as a seventh overall Louis and, and them saying we were out of the playoffs because of the 24th overall team. And then I think it's the NHL saying, well, no, no, if that happens, we'll give you a nice little, here's a little draft lottery ball to make you feel better. We'll smooth <laughs> But I agree, Kenny, it shouldn't be the first pick. It should be what it would be in a normal situation where you can jump off X number of spots. Right. Uh, so Ryan, who's your pick doomsday scenario? Okay. My pick is Edmonton. Um, just like uh, <laughs> I, I feel, I feel bad for them, but at the same time, if they should lose to the Blackhawks, Who's the only franchise that seems to fall bass backwards into the number one pick 
all the time. Can you imagine how angry everybody outside of Edmonton will be if the Oilers got the number one pick after squandering so many first overall picks over the years? It would be incredible. And, I mean, the thing is, part of me for both Edmonton and Pittsburgh says Lafreniere playing with McDavid or Dreisaitl or Crosby or Malkin that would be super fun. I would kind of like to see that. But at the same time, uh, it would just be like horrible for hockey uh, for that to happen. Now, I will disagree with you guys on one thing, the idea of a good team getting the number one overall pick. Um, you know, and, and it is a big debate, but it's like, why do we keep rewarding the most hapless franchises with the best talents? Like, I, I think this is actually more egalitarian where, you know, Lafreniere could go to a halfway decent team potentially. Um, you know, imagine him going to Chicago, for example. Uh, you, you already have Kirby Doc and Debrinkit and uh, Nicholas Bodani and Adam Bofors. You got a nice young core there. Um, you know, and the Blackhawks were competitive this year for uh, a good stretch. So I, I disagree on that element. But uh, yeah, if the Oilers win, uh, people are going to riot. Good. Uh, I like those picks. My pick is who's the most hated franchise in hockey who's the franchise that everyone lives to see play <laughs> the Maple Leafs, right they're the new york knicks of hockey uh they're relevant whether they're winning or losing a lot of people resent that very fact and if you want the team winning the lottery that would just send the crazies the tinfoil hat people into a frenzy it's fixed ah, it's fixed ah. it's the leafs in my opinion uh especially because it would be a little miracle you could make an argument that the leafs would be better off throwing the series against columbus and getting that first pick because they're in such a bad spot. Uh, if you look at even if the projected salary cap is, is if it stays flat, eighty-one and a half million, then the Leafs would be looking at four and a half million of cap space. Travis Dermott still needs to sign. Uh, they're still still going to think about an extension for Freddie Anderson and so on. Uh, they're in big trouble for a team that has a lot of flaws cap-wise. Kyle Dubas is you know he's kind of painted himself into a corner with those huge contracts. But a way out of that, and it's funny. The, one who, the guy who told me this, people might think this is ironic, but it was Ken Holland who said this to me last year, or, or this year. He said the key to winning in today's NHL is you need entry-level contracts. You need successful players on entry-level deals as opposed to just all the expensive veterans because of the fact, you know, because of the cap. You, you need to be able to pay your top stars a lot and have players on entry-level deals excelling. And if the Leafs were to win the lottery, then all of a sudden it, it gives them the, the, the ability to trade one of their expensive forwards if they wanted to because Lafreniere comes in at 925000 a year, right? Uh, so I think it would save uh, Kyle Dubas' bacon. And in terms of Doomsday scenario, people would just – they would lose their poo-poo if that happened, uh, in my opinion. <laughs> and again, can you imagine Lafreniere playing with Austin Matthews or John Tavares as a center? Like, that would be super, super fun. Mm -hmm. But, again, people would hate it. People would be furious. Uh, so, so this week, Steve Eisman came out and uh, he gave a vote of confidence to coach Jeff Blaschel, uh, even though the fact that the Wings, they have the worst points percentage since the 99-2000 Atlanta Thrashers this season. Uh, but he's sticking with his coach. Uh, I found that a bit surprising just because, and not that I'm blaming anything on Blaschel because you know, this team is just it's a classic tank job, but often when a, when a GM comes in, he tends to want to install his own guy. So I was a bit surprised by that. I'm curious what you guys think. Uh, Kenny, we'll start with you on this one. Do you think it's a good decision to keep Jeff Blaschel another year, or would you be looking for a replacement yet? No, I do. I do think it's a good good decision. I don't know that he'll last the year. I'm not. I'm not convinced that that if Detroit is in the same spot that they were in, you know, halfway through last this past season, that 
he won't be gone. Um, but, but I mean, this is not a situation where this is the coaches doing right. This is a, this is a roster that is some nights a borderline American hockey league roster. Um, in, in a lot of ways. I mean, they obviously have top end NHL talent that has no business being anywhere near the American league, but you get my point, right? Sure. Um, you know, I think, I think Jeff Blashill, um, you know, I mean, he is a guy that when Detroit gets better, they'll, they'll kind of remember what he did, you know, because he's brought a lot of these young kids along, you know, he's been very patient. He's been very understanding. Um, you know, I think he's done, I think he's done as good a job as he possibly can do. I think he's a really bright guy. He's a really smart guy. He's a good guy for that market. Um, he relates well to the fan base. You know, I think he, I, I think he's, he's, he's accepted that it's a development phase and he hasn't, um, he hasn't carped about it, about the lack of talent that's been around him. You know, he's taken some bullets for this franchise in that respect. And uh, like I said, this is not coaching. This is, this is a really, really bad roster. This is the worst roster in the NHL. And it's going to take some time to bring it back. And, you know, I mean, I, I'm glad. I, it's nice to see for once that, you know, that, that a guy like Iserman, who is obviously a very bright guy, realizes that, you know, coaching change really isn't going to do much in this situation. This isn't like the Los Angeles Kings where, you know, you have to bring in a new voice and, you know, it does make a difference. I mean, they, Los Angeles wasn't that good this year. I mean, they had won seven in a row. Um, but that new voice in the room made all the difference, apparently, from in terms of the culture of the organization. I'm not sure you're going to do anything about the culture of the organization by changing, you know, taking out Jeff Blashill and putting somebody else in at this point. Okay. What about you, Ryan? I, I agree. And I almost feel like that extension of one year, if you will, is almost Blashill's reward for being a good soldier with the organization. and. I kind of put him in the, the Mike Yo tier of coaches where, you know, they, they can be an NHL coach, but if you're, if you're serious about going for it, you, you need to go to the, the next level, whether it's Bruce Boudreau, Gerard Gallant, uh, who obviously played for the Red Wings uh, back in the day. I, I think that's probably the next step. I would love to see Detroit hire Andre Tourney, who coaches the Ottawa 67s, but he would be a guy with not a, a lot of NHL experience. And I don't know if you want to go back to back with those kind of coaches. So I understand the reticence there, but I feel like, you know, Blashill has, he's done his job and, and Ken is right. You know, there, there wasn't anything he was going to do with this team to make them, you know, the scrappy bad news bears type that sneak into the playoffs. Um, the point here was that the Red Wings were rebuilding through the draft. Uh, they're on a, good track right now they've got some nice pieces they are most likely going to get a very nice piece uh in the 2020 draft so you keep going from there i, I don't expect the red wings to be much better in 2020-21 but after that that's when the clock starts ticking so I, I believe that it's probably the summer of 2021 that Iserman will will reassess and say, okay, who can take us to the next level now that we've got some assembled parts and and potentially they shed some of the horrible veteran contracts they have by then, um, where they can really get some traction and and get on the way back up. 
For sure. And I'm with you on that, Ryan. I think um, if you look at, it's an analogy, I think you were the one that first brought it up to me, Ryan, a couple of years ago, and I always use it. It's sort of that taking the toys off, taking the toys away from the coach. The coach can't tank. It's not in his DNA as the cliche goes. The players can't tank. So you have to take the toys away. You have to take the pieces off the chessboard and then there's nothing to play with. And then that's what Steve Eisman did, keeping Mort Sider in the AHL, Philip Sedina for part of the year, Joe Valeno, all those guys so, who probably could have been improving the team if they were in the lineup because the team was so bad. But I think the Wings are very deliberately slow cooking this. So you can't blame Blashill for anything. And he does have ties because he, you know, he coached Grand Rapids to the Calder Cup. He's been in the fabric of the organization for a while, and he's a trusted guy. I do think that it wouldn't be surprised, like you said, Ryan, if there's a change next year. Because if you look at just teams that are rebuilding, there's always a critical juncture where you get the team to a certain level, and then there's – a point where it's like, okay, we're close. Now it's time to start winning. And we tip our cap to the guy who was the caretaker for the ugly rebuild phase and we move on. So it's kind of like when the Hawks brought in Joel Quenville, right when they were just about to, to, to take off in 08, 09. Uh, and I think maybe a year from now, if, if they're, you know, Red Wings have Lafreniere or Byfield or Drysdale, something like that, Tim Stutzel, um, I think you could see it. And I said this the other day to someone, the wing, the wings, they could, if they wanted to, they could put cider in the lineup, Blaino in the lineup and all of a sudden, Zadina's healthy and Lafreniere, whoever they pick. And suddenly it's not, you're not just adding Lafreniere to the lineup next year. You're making a huge, huge jump in overall talent and the wings could win an extra 15 games next year. And then they're closer to being a winning team. And that's, that could be the juncture when you go for a more experienced coach. The guy I had in mind was Peter Laviolette um, because he's a cup winner. Uh, he's done, he's, he's an experienced guy. He coaches good offensive teams in his career. I think he was, uh, it was sixth in points percentage during his tenure with Nashville. So that's a guy that I was wondering if the wings would look at, but I guess not yet. Um, I'm going to move on. But Kenny, you, did you have something on the tip of your tongue? I thought, did you put up a hand? No. Want to add something? No, I was actually motioning to my wife not to make noise. Oh. <laughs> hey, Lucy, what's oh, up? Room. <laughs> All right, cool. Good to know. Cool story, bro. Uh, there's a great stat from the Penguins beat writer, Josh Yohe. And Josh, even though you're my friend, I've never said your last name aloud. So maybe you're Yo. Maybe you're Yohe. I don't know. I'm sorry, buddy, if you're listening. Uh, and the stat was that Sidney Crosby has joined Wayne Gretzky and Mary Lemieux with a streak to start a career of 15 straight seasons of a point per game or better. And it kind of just got me thinking about the, the GOAT discussion. And at this point, where do we put Sidney Crosby? I kind of have a spot in my head, but I want to hear what you guys think first. So, Ryan, tell me where you place Sidney Crosby right now in the all-time GOAT rankings. No pressure. I would say top five. And, you know, in no specific order, it's Wayne Gretzky, Bobby Orr. Um, I would go Mario Lemieux and then Gordie Howe. And, and then Crosby's there as well. And I, I think Crosby's you know, probably five in that group. But, I mean, it's close. You know, I mean, you look at the era he's playing and what he's been able to accomplish, the cups he's won, all the trophies he's won. It's always hard to realize greatness in the present. And I think that's a big blind spot that hockey has that we're always looking back and say, no one will ever be like player X, but it's like, well, that guy wasn't, you know, you know, Gordy Howe wasn't Gordy Howe back then, you know, they, they were probably saying like, Oh, he'll never be as good as half day or whatever. Yeah. Um, so I, I think we need to put that in context and say like, what, you know, what Sidney Crosby's doing is incredible. And, you know, you put Sidney Crosby's game against, most of those guys, and he would have success. I mean, I would say that the most fun matchup would be Crosby versus Lemieux 
Like if they had to go against each other in their primes, who would win that one-on-one? That would be really fun. Um, and you could play that game with all of them, like Crosby versus Gretzky, who would get the puck, that sort of thing. Could Bobby Orr get past Crosby? Could Crosby get past Bobby Orr? It's a lot of fun to think about. For sure. Uh, Kenny, what about you? Where do you land on this one? Oh, he's, he's definitely top five, without question. Um, yeah, he's top five. Uh, I, I just I, I know what I'm about to say is going to drive people crazy, but I'm not a big Bobby Orr guy. <laughs> I, uh, I I don't have him in probably in my top three right now. I I would probably have go uh, Wayne, Mario, Sid. Uh, I mean I I mean I and I think Ryan brings up a really good point that it's it's really difficult to appreciate what a guy has done. Um, when when he's actually doing it but i i mean what matters what matters in in the, like longevity matters cups matter i mean sid's won four cups in an era when it's been the hardest three, three, ever. Cups, three cups but still so oh nine sixteen yeah. seventeen nine sixteen seventeen and but he's been to four finals. Yeah okay so he's won three cups. You're right. Yeah, yeah. And in an era when it's it's more difficult than ever to win a cup, that's one more than Bobby Orr and in, won in an era on a way better, way more dominant team when it was way easier to win a cup. You know that's one fewer than Gretzky won. That's uh, you know I mean I mean so he's right there uh, with and and I mean he's been. The engine. He's been the driving force behind those cup teams. Um, so, you know, two Conn Smythe trophies. Um, so, I mean, I, I, I don't think it's outlandish to suggest that he is a top three guy, could be a top two guy by the time everything's said and done. I mean, what happens if they go out and play like a bunch of animals this year and win it and win another cup or two before Sid's career is over? Because that could happen. That really right. could happen. And, and, I mean, I, so I, yeah, I mean, he's undoubtedly in the, in, in the top five without question. Yeah, I'm with you guys. And especially because the fact that Crosby's what, 32 years old. So he's, he's not done. He might be just aging out of the major award contention. Like, I don't know if he's going to win another scoring title, for instance, but I think it's still possible for another cup and a third Conn Smythe trophy. I believe Patrick Waugh's the only one with three. I believe Waugh has three, if, mm-hmm. I, if I'm not mistaken. But uh, I think he's the only one with three. But hopefully I'm right. I'll have to check it after. And He's got the, the resume, right? Two Conn Smites, multiple MVPs, multiple scoring titles. And if you consider international, like two gold medal winning goals, four-time first-team All-Star, and also an ambassador of the game. So to me, I think you listed the exact order I have, Ryan. I'm still a Bobby Orr guy, so I have, the, I have Gretzky, Orlemieux, Gordie Howe, and I have Crosby Five. Even though, shout-out to my boy, Dominic Hasek. I love Dominic Hasek. I, I think he – I put him in that discussion with Lidstrom as well. Uh, but I think if I had to choose right now, Crosby Five – uh, and, you know, when Alex Ovechkin's career is done, he's got to be close. He's, Alex Ovechkin is one of the most decorated hockey players of all time in terms of actual accolades. He, he's, he's won more things than Crosby. He's right up there. He's the closest player to, like, the Gretzky Lemieux tier in terms of the sheer volume of awards piled up and Bobby Orr as well. Uh, I'm curious, just for fun, off the top of your head, just right now, predict where Connor McDavid ranks when his career is done. I'll start with you, Ryan. I'm putting you on the spot. This was not planned. Yeah. I just thought of it right now. That's a fun spot, but I'm going to say he'll probably be top somewhere between 10 and 15. I, I, you know, like he hasn't won anything yet in terms of team success, uh, but that could be coming very soon. And 
it's funny. I was talking to Scotty Bowman the other day. I'm name dropping because it's Scotty Bowman. Uh, and we were talking about, you know, him coaching against Bobby Orr. He was like, yeah, Bobby Orr, he had this great acceleration, kind of like Connor McDavid right now. And it's sort of funny to hear it in that context where it's like it was a compliment to Bobby Orr that he skated like Connor McDavid. But wow. you can also sort of make that comparison where it's like, yeah, like Connor McDavid, like he's the gold standard of skating. Um, and I, I thought that was very interesting. So I think he's going to put up a ton of raw numbers. He's going to win hearts. He's going to win Art Rosses. You know, uh, he'll probably win a cup, um, you know, at least one in the coming years. So I, I think based on just his skill set and the sheer amount of offense he can put up, that's going to get him up there. And I think his defense will improve as time goes on as well, because he's going to get into that spot where, you know, he's going to have a better cast surrounding him and he won't have to worry so much about going one way. And, and he obviously also has a, a coach now in Dave Tippett who is great at teaching defensive structure. So I think we're going to see a more complete McDavid in the coming years, but one who is still lightning fast and possibly even faster when he has the puck on his stick. Mm-hmm. Excellent. I like the analysis. What about you, Kenny? Where's your McDavid future ranking? I mean, I, I, you know, I mean, there was a time when Howie Morenz was the greatest player of all time. (laughs) There was a time when, you know, so there's, there's going to be some era when some of these guys start to usurp the, the the actual greatest players that have ever played the game. I mean, People are going to move ahead of Gordie Howe. People have already moved ahead of Rocket Richard. People are going to move ahead of Bobby Orr. People may move ahead of Mario Lemieux. Who knows? Maybe ahead of Wayne Gretzky at some point. I mean, the players now, I mean, he's, he's the best player in the world at a time when players have never been better. Mm-hmm. Yep. So he's the best. So you could say he's the best who's ever played because he's, he's the best in the game at a time when players – when that level of play has never been higher. And in 20 years, like, it's funny. I was, uh, I was, watching, uh, I was watching the uh, 87 Canada Cup with, uh, with my son, who's 20 years old. And I remember thinking, wow, this hockey was just amazing. Like, this is the greatest it's ever been. It's never been at a higher level. And we're watching it. We're sitting there going, hmm, okay, well, it hasn't aged it's aged okay, but it's not quite as good as I remember it. And then I was thinking, and my dad, or my, my son turns to me and he says, Dad, you know, he goes, he goes, I wonder if, you know, when I'm watching this with my kids, you know, like the, the equivalent of my kids are going to say, you know, Dad, you know, Crosby and McDavid, they weren't that good. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Because Shane Wright is better. Now and the players are going to even be better. Yeah. Right, yeah. I think that's going to repeat itself over and over. I, I 100% agree. And I, I think McDavid – for me, I think the 10-15 range is a good projection. McDavid's ceiling is astronomical just because statistically the things he's doing relative to age are only matched by Wayne Gretzky in terms of the only two players to ever win the scoring title at age 21 or younger twice are McDavid and, and Gretzky. So the pace he's on and just the accolades so early in his career, just the, the MVP, multiple uh, Ted Lindsay's, the first-team All-Star selections, all the accolades, he's just stacking them up so heavily early he's not and even like Sidney Crosby for example had a year lost where he had that bad ankle sprain so he missed out on much rewards but McDavid obviously hurt in his first year but since then just piling up the 100 point seasons uh so he's doing things so historic even though it's an arrow his scoring is lower than 
the previous eras. I think he's got crazy high ceiling. Uh, before we finish, we've got a few reader questions to, to get through. I think some really good ones this week. Uh, first one is from Kevin O'Brien. And Kevin asks, do the Rangers start Henrik Lundqvist against Carolina, given his track record against them? I personally say no, even though all time he's been great against Carolina. And this year, as you pointed out already, Ken, Lundqvist was outstanding against the Canes. Uh, in this short tournament with this long layoff, Lundqvist is 38 years old. How do we know his body hasn't started to retire? It's like his body's been not playing for a few months and he's 38 and his body's maybe, it's like subconsciously his body's like, oh, maybe this is it. And he's, I think his sharpness is more likely to be questionable than the red-hot rookie Igor Shesterkin. So I would start Shesterkin if he falters and you have a great safety net in Lundqvist. What do you guys think? Uh, Kenny, we'll start with you. Yeah, I, I, I would probably agree. I mean, the fact of the matter is, is, is Henrik Lundqvist was a sub-500 goalie this year. <laughs> he was a sub-500 goalie this year, barely over 900 in save percentage, um, you know, and 38 years old. And, and I mean, yes, he, he has been good against Carolina. He's been very good against Carolina, but his playoff past isn't all that great either, you know? Like, he's had a pretty checkered past when it's come to the playoffs, in my opinion. Um, so, yeah, I mean, like, to me, I, I think that, that – that the, the Lundquist debate is over now in New York. Like, I think now, you know, I think people have accepted. I think Lundquist has accepted. The organization has accepted. The fans has, have accepted that Henrik Lundquist is not their number one goalie. And now to do this would kind of put that all back into flux and mm-hmm. maybe create a controversy where there isn't one there. You know, and, and I mean – the Rangers are these young swashbuckling guys who, you know, are, are exciting to watch and everything. I, I mean, if you're going to go with that identity, then you might as well just, you might as well just go all in on it, in my opinion. And, and that's why I think that, that, that Shesterkin should be the guy as well. Cool. Totally agree. Ryan. Yeah. It's Shesterkin for me as well. He's the young guy. He's the best goalie you have. You know, Lundqvist, I, I feel like you would be just trading on nostalgia if you started Lundqvist. And I think it would send the wrong message to Shesterkin as well. You know, a guy that came over from Russia to play in the best league. You know, he didn't have to. He could have stayed over in the KHL and been a star. But he wanted to play against the best. And New York is building something very fun. And I feel like you have to trust in that core. And, I mean, this is not their year. You know, on paper, I mean, if they go far, that's great. But no one's expecting the Rangers to be a deep team. So why are you throwing up future roadblocks in terms of, you know, where Shesterkin's head is at and and his place in the franchise? I say you play those guys that you are going to be depending on for the next decade. And this is a great sort of trial by fire for them. And Shesterkin should be uh, the one leading the way. For sure. And the thing is, too, Shesterkin, I think it's entirely possible he goes on a Cam Ward 2006 six rookie goalie heater, and I think the Rangers are just better off with him, and I think they're a dangerous team. I think they're, I think they're at the top of the lower seed. No one wants to play power ranking, in my mind. So, who knows what happens. Uh, next question is from Brandon gallup and Brandon asks, do the teams with the buy rounds have a disadvantage going to the, in the following round against teams that have a round of hockey back under their belts? 
I did think about that, but I do believe that's a big reason why the round robin was created for those teams. Yes, it also determines seeding, but I think just as importantly, gets those teams some games in. And there's a case to be made that it could be advantageous because the teams that are in the play-in rounds are going from zero to full tilt, elimination games or elimination series, and that could actually be more taxing on the body, whereas if you're playing round robin, if you don't care too much about seeding, you can kind of experiment, you can ease your way back into it, you can evaluate your team and test some things out and ease your older guys back in in terms of minutes, whatever you want to do. There's different paths to take. Uh, so because of that, I don't think that the the advancing teams are at a disadvantage, but I can see the other side too. So Ryan, tell me what you think. I I like it for the the round robin teams. I, you know, there's that cliche of steel sharpens steel. So, you know, if you're Boston, you're getting Tampa, Washington, and Philly. Those are good challenges for you. Actually, I think Tampa's the team that probably benefits the most because, you know, as we know, they voted against the, the, the format probably because they were gun-shy about losing to Columbus, who had to claw their way into the playoffs last year and were, you know, revving on full engines when they, when they met up against the Lightning and then obviously swept them. But if you're Tampa Bay, now you're getting games against Boston, Washington, and Philly that, you know, they're not meaningless. Um, and I think then it's like, okay, you're in a groove, you know what you're playing for and you're going to be prepared for the next squad, but there's an advantage in that, you know, you're only playing three games, whereas the qualifying teams, they might be playing five games. And because, I mean, there's going to be a training camp. I think there's going to be a couple of exhibition games, but I could just see like a raft of groin injuries and hip flexors happening because of the guys being laid off for so long that, the team that only has to play three games, I think is going to have an advantage over one that had to play five. For sure. Absolutely. And Kenny, your thoughts. No, I think, I think it's a definite advantage for the, for the top teams. Like, I mean, when it comes down to it, what would you rather have to do win four playoff series or five? You'd rather have to win four, you know, you'd rather take that. I think that break. And, and, and I mean, you, you bring up a good point, Ryan, they're going to be playing competitive games that aren't meaningless, but there, there's no high stakes for them, really. I mean, think about it. You could go 0-3 in the round robin and still win the Stanley Cup, right? Because yeah. there's really nothing – there is something at stake here, but there's really not a lot at stake here. You know, I mean, I mean these are tune-up games, and they're tune-up games against really good teams. And in the end, I mean, once you get to the 16, you're going to have to beat everybody anyways. So it's – I would say the advantage is negligible. So, um, you know, I, I mean, you're going to get those tune-up games. You're going to, I think they're going to have two exhibition games. There's going to be those tune-up games. There's going to be a training camp. These guys have been playing hockey all their lives. You know, this isn't like, you know, Bambi's getting out on the ice here. These guys know what they're doing. They've been working out. They've been staying healthy for the most part. Uh, I don't, I, I, I think people are going to be surprised at how quickly guys get up to speed. I mean, I know it's been a long time, but uh, you know, muscle memory is, is going to kick in pretty quickly here. I think goalies are going to be up to speed faster because they just, they're able to train more like their real life training whereas players. It's been different, right? Um, it, it's funny. I, I still wonder if, if, you know, this, the idea thinking about the round Robin, I think it's, it's very important that the, that the, the winners, when they, when they, decide what to do with the winners of the qualifying round. They haven't decided yet whether it's going to be bracketed or reseeded. But if it's bracketed, then that's going to kill any motivation to try in the round robin. If you're like, well, it doesn't matter if we finish first because we're just playing whoever we're being forced into a bracket with, then right. you can just 
chill. Whereas I think if it's going to be reseeded, then there is motivation to play harder in the round robin. So I think it's, there's pros and cons, but it's, it's, it's a tough one. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Next question. This is another doozy. We've got the, the, the listeners are really coming in with just firing hundred mile an hour fastballs. Uh, Joel 21 asks, would you see this year's Stanley cup winner differently? That's the million dollar question, isn't it? Uh, I would not just as I don't see the 94, 95 devils differently. And I don't see the 2013 Blackhawks differently. And any other year in which there were unfair, weird playoff matchups, like the Penguins winning in 16-17 when the Capitals had the best record had to play the second-best team in the league in round two, et cetera, et cetera. The, the rules have never – often the playoff bracket rules have not been fair. It doesn't matter. I think history will – I think history will quickly forget once we get deep into these games and the intensity ramps up and I think people's brains will start just switching back to normal and just – getting into these games and the competition. And by the time we reach the cup final, I think the intensity is going to be so high that it's going to feel like almost normal. And the, I think as a result, the cup celebration will feel normal too. So I, I'm of the mind that we're, there's going to be some detractors saying asterisk, asterisk, especially if some lower seed goes on a run, but I'm not one of those people. Kenny, what about you? Uh, I'm not either. I mean, I, 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 uh, you know, I mean, the Los Angeles Kings won the Stanley Cup in 2012 um, with a team that had, you know, that, that really wasn't that good during the regular season. There's no asterisks beside them. There's absolutely no asterisks here um, as far as I'm concerned. 85% of the regular season had been played. Like this is, you know, I mean, they played way more of a regular season than the lockout shortened seasons than, you know, I mean, than, you know, I mean, I mean, think back to the uh, – to the original six days. There were seasons in the original six when you played like 44 to 50 games and you won two playoff series. You know, I mean, there are no asterisks beside those teams. Why should there be an asterisk beside a team that's played 85% of the regular season and maybe had to win five playoff rounds? Like if one of those bottom teams comes up and, and wins, like, like the Pittsburgh Penguins, if they win the Stanley Cup, they're going to have to win five playoff rounds, right? right. 19 I, I, games. Got to win 19 games. Right. 19 games. Sure, sure, yeah. Like you trying to tell me that that's not going to be difficult. You know, you trying to tell me if the Pittsburgh Penguins win the Stanley Cup, there should be an asterisk beside it. No chance in my opinion. Everybody's in fact, I think this year is going to be competitive and it's going to be really exciting. Everybody's going to be healthy. Everybody's going to be rested. Nobody's going to be coming into the Stanley Cup playoffs on fumes. You know, the 1998-99 Detroit Red Wings, had a very good chance of winning their third straight Stanley Cup. And they went out and made a bunch of trades at the trade deadline, got a bunch of top players, and then everybody got injured and they lost. You know, I mean, so, I mean, now you're going to be facing everybody who's on an equal footing. I think, in fact, I think it might even be the opposite. I might even look at this year's Stanley Cup winner as somebody who's really actually accomplished something really special. If it's one of the teams from the play-in, they'll have the record as most wins ever in a, in a playoff round. If it's, yeah. any, if it's any of those bottom 16 teams. Ryan, where do you stand? Uh, I agree with you guys. I think that it's going to be a, a huge challenge. And again, I, I really like what Ken said about the original six. And then even think about, you know, the original six expansion years. You know, I was just watching a documentary about the Big Bad Bruins. And they said, like, they knew once they beat the Blackhawks in the second round, they had won the Stanley Cup because they didn't consider the St. Louis Blues to be a legitimate opponent because they were an expansion team, like an early expansion team. Um, and, and that had gone for the year before as well, when the Bruins had fallen just short 
of winning the uh, of getting to the Stanley Cup Finals. So we've had all sorts of different permutations over the history of hockey. And I mean, if you go far enough back, all you had to do to win the Stanley Cup was to challenge some team and <laughs> dog sled out to play them for a hey, game you. or two. We are a fit so, bunch of boys. We are a fit bunch of boys. Let's play. That's we're right. It's play. like, yeah, it's like, yeah, we won the Stanley Cup in a sawmill. And uh, <laughs> it was totally legitimate. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, this is, you know, they're going to be playing a bunch of series. And like you said, I mean, it'll be the, the most games ever, potentially, if a qualifying round team wins. So, no, I think it's full marks for whoever wins. For sure. And, and I'm glad you mentioned the Blues. I was writing about that last week. It's like, you think this is unfair? In those early years, like the expansion team automatically, that, that whole conference automatically had a cup finalist. And, and the Blues, they made the cup final three years in a row, and they went 0-12 in the, in the 12 games they played. Swept three times. Like, what a joke. Yeah. You know? And then they moved the Blackhawks into the West Division, and the Blackhawks had a basically a free pass to the final in 71 and 73, and they, they couldn't get the job done because Montreal beat them both times. But talk about a joke, I mean, of a playoffs. I mean, Chicago basically played in a terrible division for most of the year, piled up a bunch of points, and then had a free pass to the Stanley Cup final. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. There you go. Uh, one last question here before we finish up. It's from Adam Fleck. And Adam asks, have the bottom seven teams, we haven't talked about them a ton today, have they been unfairly treated? As a Wings fan, I'm not keen that middling teams get to double dip, but nothing cha- nothing has changed for the Wings, so should I be upset? I think that nothing's changed. That element is what matters most. And Ryan, maybe you can you can speak to it if I'm wrong, but my understanding is for those bottom seven teams, their lottery odds have not worsened. Uh, it's just, The main difference is just that the, the qualifying round losers um, – have a shot at the number one pick, which they wouldn't necessarily uh, under normal circumstances. But those bottom seven teams have the same chance they always would. So I think things are kind of unchanged for them. And like I said earlier on the podcast, it's about appeasing any really good team that somehow loses in the first round of the qualifying. And it's a, it's a little carrot to throw them to smooth things over. So I don't feel too bad for the bottom seven teams. I think they're just right where they started before, more or less. Do you agree with that, Ryan? Yeah, I agree. And, you know, Detroit, they have 18.5% odds of winning the number one pick, best odds that are out there, uh, unless you combine Ottawa's number two and three odds because of the San Jose trade. Um, but, yeah, no, I, I look at it, it's just like a slightly different lottery. I know people are freaking out about phase two, but phase two might not happen. Right. I mean, the draft lottery might go Detroit, Ottawa, Ottawa. As You know, I mean, that would be the most – um, I'm not going to pretend it'll be the most mathematically possible because I'm terrible at math, but let's just pretend it's the easiest solution. Um, I, I would equate this more with, you know, like the year that Philly and Dallas ended up jumping a bunch of spots up in the lottery. Um, it's just, we don't know who those teams are going to be. You know, it's going to be team C, you know, and then you go to phase two. So uh, I, I'm not too concerned. And, you know, like the worst that Detroit can pick is fourth. It's a pretty deep draft. Um, I'm not saying that you prefer to have, you know, Lucas Raymond over Alexi Lafreniere, but I mean, who knows what's going to happen in the, in the next decade. Um, it's a very nice high end. And I think that Detroit and Ottawa, no matter what happens, uh, they're going to get some high end players and it'll be fun to see how it all shakes out. Mm-hmm. Kenny? Yeah, I yeah, I mean, I, the whole draft lottery thing just gave me a massive headache. So I, I don't pretend to know uh, the, 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 the 
arithmetic of it all, but, uh, but I mean, we did talk about doomsday scenarios, right? Um, so those, you know, I mean, and there's a chance that that could happen and that's not good. That's not good. Like I said, you know, you know, Arizona coyotes, Winnipeg jets, you know, teams like that, sorry, but you got a mulligan. Like this is, you got your chance here. You know, you weren't even supposed to be in this, in the playoffs. And now you've got a chance to play for the Stanley cup. You can't have it both ways. You know what I would have liked to have seen guys. I would have liked to have seen a separate bracket of the mm-hmm. bottom seven teams having a tournament. I mean, because this is all crazy. This whole year yeah. is crazy. The whole world's crazy. Everything's gone upside down. So why not have, you know, Hub City 1, where you have 12 teams, Hub City 2, where you have 12 teams, and Hub City 3, where you have seven teams. And, and th- this is very real for me because I think, you know, I mean, one of the big sort of complaints about this is that, these bottom seven teams are, could go nine, 10, 11 months without playing an NHL game, you know? So you put them in one of these tournaments somehow. I don't know if it, I don't know if you'd have a round Robin cause that would be a lot of games, but somehow you produce a winner from this tournament and you rank the, t- and so you got to play for the number one pick. Now you don't just get to fall into it. You got to play for it. Yeah, that'd be awesome. And so you win this tournament, you get the number one pick. Plus you're getting games that these games mean something. These games will have players engaged, you know, the same as they would for the, for a lot of the other teams, they won't go 10 or 11 months without playing. This is what I would have liked to have seen. And I don't know why I haven't written that for a blog yet. I I thought of an idea. Yeah. There's one fly in the ointment there. Are you going to force the San Jose Sharks to wear Ottawa Senators jerseys in this tournament? <laughs> yeah, that's true. That is a fly in the ointment. There's no question about that. They're like, uh, we're just going to stand on the bench. Actually, that could help because then you get an even number. Sharks just don't play. So no, Ottawa, Ottawa gets two teams. Ottawa gets two teams in this tournament. They nice. get two teams. A split squad. Belleville. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Uh, another doomsday scenario I hadn't thought of until right now is, so what if there's the lottery on June 26th and the name pulled first? is like team Z or whatever. So do you know which bracket that is? So let's say like number one pick is it's team Z. And if you're playing in the team Z bracket, is that team going to be like, Oops, sorry, letting it go. We lost on purpose to try and t- like if you're a team like, you know, Arizona, it probably isn't going to win the cup anyways. Do you, do you tank your playing if you know that you're going to, you've already won the first pick or is, will it not be known when, when the qualifying it's, well, it'll be a separate draw, I believe. It'll right? be a separate draw. Exactly. So, yeah, right. it'll be the right to become Team A. Okay. Right. Yeah. And, and it wouldn't matter even if it did, Matt, because players and coaches don't care about draft picks. They don't care about getting the number one pick. I think if you're in a position to, to play for the Stanley Cup, you know, as, even if, as remote as it might be, you know, and from what we've seen in the last few years of teams, you know, jumping up and having long playoff runs after – you know, being, you know, not expected to do so. I think teams are going to try, try like hell to, to see if they can win as many games as they can. Like players, players don't care about tanking. They don't want to tank. Coaches don't want to tank. When you tank, you have to do it as an organization and you, you know, you, you have to do it from a management level. And so, but once you leave it up to the players and coaches, they're not going to want to lose. For sure. If I had a dollar for every time a player or coach told me tanking is not my DNA, I wouldn't be a millionaire, but I'd, I could, like, buy a sandwich or something. Like, I've heard it a lot of times, you know? A nice you get a pretty good 
But this is one where the, this is one where they're actually telling them the truth. Oh yeah, I believe it for sure. Because yeah. players, they don't care about who's coming; they care about what's going on now, right? One hundred percent. Yeah. Well, this is a good meaty podcast. We're gonna wrap it up now. It was fun chatting about some real tangible hockey, almost tangible. We at least know how. As I said this week, we know how it's gonna happen. We don't know when or if, but we know how, which is fun at least for discussion. So thank you guys. Thank you for listening or watching, and. I think maybe we'll be back sooner. It seems like hockey is heating up, so maybe we'll have more stuff to talk about again soon, and we'll see you then.